Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. Derek, it's a crappy week. <laughs> well, for you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we are, um, you're, you're remote tonight. I am remote. Because last Friday morning, I woke up with the ahems. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I ended up with a sinus infection, a chest infection, and throat infection, and coughing, and sneezing, and hacking, and I thought I was going to die, and... So abundance uh, of caution, I'm not going to go near you. Come on, you know you want a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> come on over here, give us a hug. Big spoon, little spoon. <laughs> uh, Monday morning, I had no voice. We didn't even know if we were oh, going to yeah? record this week. Because, uh, yeah, my yes. voice was so bad. Well, yeah, when I first reached out to you, it says, well, I wasn't playing or recording this week. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, honestly, dude, Monday morning, it felt like I was, I'd eaten a whole bunch of razor blades. Oh, yeah? My throat was that bad. And people were like, what'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? <laughs> well, so, better you than me. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so well, we'll see if I, I can see- get through this hour anyway. Yeah, it's actually kind of good that I'm not driving because it's like thick fog. I got some really wicked pictures of the kids playing in the street with the street lights, with the the, <laughs> the street lights lights flashing down, and Stella's doing gang signs and doing crab walks through the fog. And so it was, we had a lot of fun out there earlier tonight, chasing the kids around in the fog. Hey kids, let's and, go uh, play in the street. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell them. I did tell them don't get run over by a car. But uh, this this neighborhood's very quiet. You, like there might be a car every two hours type thing. Well, back in the day, you used to hear cars coming. Now they got the Teslas. <laughs> What's that humming that noise? <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't they? Wasn't there some sort of they're going to do some sort of thing where all electric cars are going to have to give off a noise? When they're driving, so that like like uh, as people blind people can hear a car coming because they rely on the audio, but they never did do that. Uh, I, I've never heard the uh, the hum of an electric vehicle. You know, they're supposed to give off noises, fake engine sounds. Anyway, speaker at the I, front being, that goes brrrm, brrrm. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or a beep beep beep. <laughs> the sound of the thump thump as they bounce off the hood. Yes, <laughs> that's your noise. <laughs> there is that, uh, and and the other thing is, uh, man, traffic here in in where I live in Bowenville. So unfortunately, the first accident that happened, uh, an individual uh, passed away. But there was like seven cars, two transport trucks piled up. The four hundred one was closed for like eight hours, Ooh. and then the very next night, or that night at like twelve thirty in the morning. On the same spot on the highway, but eastbound, two transport trucks collided and turned over and blocked all lanes of traffic until like 4 or 5 a.m. So, yeah, so it's, uh, and these two accidents were within uh, 100 meters of each other, just Ooh. different directions on the 401. But that, that stretch of the 401 between Bowmanville and like Port Hope, Coburg, that's always been it's, nasty. Yeah, so they kind of they have it has their own weather systems. You have dips and it rises and dips that uh, the weather changes. Like you might be in rain, then uh, like a kilometer later you're in snow, and then you dip down again and you're in rain. It's it's really weird. It's a really rough area. It's you're, you're really affected by it's a lot of light of lake effect for weather. Yeah, coming off Lake Ontario. Very, very, very exciting. 
awesome. <laughs> uh, this is our big episode 350. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. not just me being sick. You guys had a bad week, too. Yeah, we... Uh, so, our, my little buddy, my little companion, he, uh, <clears throat> he's, uh, he's an orange tabby. He, uh, Riley had been with us. He was born in June 2004, and uh, I got him as a as a kitten in September 2004. And uh, on say so he's been he's he's had kidney issues for the past five years. Okay, and so unfortunately, little Riley was uh, took a turn for the worse in the last three weeks and lost a lot of weight. Stopped eating. We were feeding him water by a spoon, and so unfortunately, uh, we. Uh, had to uh, do the kind thing, and he was euthanized on Monday. Which, what was good though, is and credit to the kids, they were all strong enough, and so all four of us were in the vets in the in the vets uh, exam room when when Riley uh, was took the took his final sleep, mm-hmm. and uh, so he had love all around him. He was getting lots of pets as he fell asleep, and uh, but yeah, it was unfortunate on Monday when. When we took him in, he couldn't even walk anymore. So it was a yeah. It comes. It point. was a sad. It was a sad time. It was like he'd been with us for eighteen years, right? So that's a long time for 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 an animal pet, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it was a long time, and so now we're down to one cat. And uh, well, our one and cat, little, Nikki, was eighteen when he went a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember Nikki. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's uh, it's the special yeah. kitty. <laughs> yes, he was very special. <laughs> was this the the kid? I guess this was the kid's first. Uh, Incidents of losing an animal? No, they, so uh, Parker, the previous cat, had passed away about four years ago, but uh, he passed away while we were away on vacation. Ah. So we were, we were away to Blue Mountain and, uh, and we got word that he had passed away while we were gone. He was sick. We knew he was sick. And uh, so he was on medication and stuff, but uh, he passed away. We're gone, so they they we we didn't experience directly his loss. But right, everybody knew about it, and of course the kids were a lot younger then. But uh, now they're nine and nine to twelve, so it was it's more of a direct effect. And so in the last couple of weeks, Roddy's been getting lots of snuggles and hugs and pets and stuff like that because I, I made it clear that what was coming. The kids knew what was coming, right? So yeah. I communicated to them. So it's like, I'm not going to hide that kind of stuff. So they were ready for it and uh, they took it well. And so it's, it was meaningful to them and, and they, and Riley got lots of uh, loving towards the end. All the life's big old circle, right? I know. Yeah. 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 yeah I was ready to hear that, yeah. man. Yeah. It was very sad. Tough times. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was, did I tell you I was looking for looking at a dog? You were you? Yeah. He was a <laughs> Mastiff Great Dane Cross. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding me, right? No. You're, you're like, how seriously? <laughs> how seriously were you looking at that? Yeah, they had him at the pound. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I called up and they dog. said, somebody's coming to look at him. If he's here, if they don't take him, then we'll give you a call and let you know and you can come and take a peek. He would be See, a my, massive dog. Like, you would need more than a shovel to clean your backyard. Well, see, that's the thing. That's the first thought that comes to my mind is cleaning up after him. It's like, well, there's a two-pound load that I have to carry back to the house with me from the walk. 
Yeah, like, and if you just leave it on someone's lawn, they're going to know who did it. <laughs> That's got to be that dog. Oh, it's that roly dog. <laughs> Guy's dog's poop is the size of a chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every so often I just take a, a little peek at the oh, okay, yeah, at, yeah. at the shelters to see what's there and... You know that just happened. He just happened to be there, but yeah, whoever was yeah. first in line, uh, I guess they, I guess they went out and bought big shovels. <laughs> <laughs> they go, go, they go for on walks with a with a garbage can towing behind them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I guess you're uh, you're not. I know I'm not going on that canoe trip this weekend. We're supposed to be going up for four days. No, but, uh, no, I I, uh, I begged off of that trip too. It's uh, I just had other things going on, and and you know, so I just uh, and I'd already committed to not going to the winter camping symposium a couple of weeks back. Yeah. So it's just with with Riley and with other stuff that's going on. I decided that uh, we're gonna spend some time around. You know, the, doing, the family's gonna do some stuff this weekend. Yeah, just do some lay low and have some family time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I figure with this cold and everything going on, I got then I got other things because well, I'm I'm uh, not hitting. I'm not going to go spend another four days out in the damp, cold air. No, exactly probably, right. Probably, yeah. probably not in my best interest at this point. Yeah, it doesn't seem that much fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the. Fourth annual Ontario Winter Camping Symposium is uh, uh, yes. on Saturday, yep. November fifth, which mm-hmm. is like in a couple of days. Yep. Uh, new venue, First United Church, sixteen William Street in Waterloo, starts at nine in the morning, ends at three thirty. Uh, I haven't seen anything saying that they're sold out yet. No, I didn't see anything either. They, you can still buy the tickets online. So I, I just, I just think this. Uh, I don't know if it's change of venue or just the whatever's going on right now. There's just fewer people who had been buying tickets this year because they normally sell out within really a quick. Weeks. Yeah, I think there's right? still then, a lot of people shy about getting sitting that close to each other. Still. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, they're saying it's uh, you know the COVID policy. The venue has an optional mask policy. Feel free to wear a mask if you wish, but a mask is not required. Uh, we will update this notice if the policy changes prior to November 5th. So who's, uh, Whiskey Jack Outdoors is still a sponsor. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Kid Products, their outdoor stoves. There's their, yep. uh, Kingdom Outdoor Product, Alan Drummond. He's yep. a, a sponsor. Drummond, yep. Snow Trekker Tents, Paddle In, OTG Meals, Traversing. Oh, we saw, we saw, I'm going to talk about our winter camping on the weekend. Traversing, we saw Evan, uh, his wife and uh, little one there out. Um, oh, cool! Right on at, at uh, Mule Lake. Yeah. Uh, Wool Love and the Quetical Foundation—they're all sponsoring yeah. the uh, winter symposium. Uh, they do have four speakers: Dave Hadfield, he's the uh, brother of Chris Hadfield. Yeah, Chris Our is the uh, astronaut not. guy. Uh, the yeah. two of them both both. Uh, do the canoe tripping and the singing and everything like that with playing guitar and whatnot. Yeah. So what? He's a pilot. He's a singer, songwriter. Oh, he he pilots like like all these old aircraft, eh, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Like you just look at some of the pictures and you're just like, oh man, just some of the, the planes <laughs> that he flies is is incredible. Yeah. 
North Star by Bud Carr. It's no pain to take the train. And, uh, yeah, so he's going to be talking about uh, using the Bud Carr from Sudbury to access uh, Little Traveled Crown Land off the rail line north of Sudbury. Oh, right uh, he does uh, two-week expeditions on snowshoes, pulling self-designed sleds and homemade gear and stoves and stuff like that. Yeah. Shirley Lake Blair, winter camp without breaking your budget. Uh, she usually leads uh, groups of scouts and stuff, so she'll be sharing her uh, secrets to uh, um, outfitting on a budget. Budget, She says, think Value Village. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Peter Desmet, he does the uh, he, he started cold tenting and climbing in Sweden. Now he's in Canada guiding for Algonquin Base Camp. And okay. uh, yeah, he, he he introduces new people to uh, uh, those new to winter camping to best practices for sleep systems, hot tenting, and other essentials for enjoying camping in winter. And our good old pal Martin Pine, uh, we uh, we yes. all know him as Pine Martin. Sick of pulling an overloaded sled? Lighten your load. Martin has been building snow shelters since he was a kid on the Ottawa River. He'll be revealing to us the pros and cons of igloos, quinzies, and the methods used to build them. So, yeah, if you can build your uh, shelter out of snow, you don't need to bring that big old stove with you and big old mm-hmm. tent. Yeah. So so those are the speakers. And, uh, yeah, if you go to OntarioWinterCamping.ca, then all the information is there, including uh, on the homepage. There's a little button there uh, where you can click here for tickets, and it'll take you to the. Uh, yes, so yeah, there's tickets still available for anybody who wants to make it there. If you can make it there this weekend, uh, on the homepage it talks about the speakers, directions how to get there, where to park, and so on. And all the details are there for anybody who wants to make it there for the fourth annual Winter Outdoor Ontario Winter Camping Symposium. Yep, it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else is going on here? Oh, the Arctic Cowboys. Oh, yes. Yes. So here's an ad for ads. (laughs) Wes Hansen posted this. Yeah. Teammates wanted for 2200 mile Northwest Passage kayak expedition. Must be able to see kayak in a very cold, turbulent waters for 12 to 20 hours at a stretch. Paddling a tandem sea kayak in sync is necessary. Assertively team-oriented, meaning a willingness to help where needed without being prompted. Exceptional sense of humor. Expedition will potentially take four-plus months from Baffin Bay to the Beaufort Sea. While venting is accommodated, whining won't be tolerated. (laughs) No pooping inside the tent, regardless of the weather. (laughs) That's an unusual. <laughs> that's an unusual disclaimer. It's like, wait a sec. Why is he there is a, there? There's got to be a reason for that one. <laughs> there's always rules, right? Yep. If <laughs> do six, not consume shampoo. Yeah. Oh, wait, the shampoo. <laughs> do not bathe with a hair dryer. <laughs> if successful, we will be the first to kayak the entire Northwest Passage. Interested party should send me a personal message on Facebook with your email address. I'll respond with my email where we can begin a dialogue. For more information on the 2022 and the 2023 expedition, visit thearcticcowboys.com. And of course, I mean, that'd be really cool if I had the, had the forum, I could take four months off of work. I'd be on that like flies on poop in the tent. 
Well, you'd actually have to plan for more than four months, right? Oh, yeah. There's some, there's some preamble and then some post stuff because you may not be able to get – like once you get to tuck – at the end, it may take some time to do some traveling. So you're going to need like uh, four and a half, five months. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so if you're interested in this on the serious side, definitely go to Arctic Cowboys, thearcticcowboys.com. Send West yeah. Hanson a message and uh, hey, maybe uh, we'll be uh, seeing you guys paddling that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the not so serious side, there's so many comments all related. Yes. I've yeah. got a sense yeah. of humor, and I never poop in, <laughs> in a tent. <laughs> I never poop in a tent. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, one of our, our our listeners, Andrew. No matter what the weather, there's no pooping in the tent. What kind of Sir John Franklin rule is this? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of uh, comments about. The pooping in the tent. Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's, that, it's kind of grabs your attention, right? It's like, yeah. what? Why, why is he saying that? <laughs> yeah, why is he sort of singling that one out? Uh, Daniel, 12 to 20 hours tandem kayak, no whining? Hard pass. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to uh, try paddling the Northwest Passage uh, in one season, thearcticcowboys.com and uh, send... West Hanson, uh, a little message there and say, Hey buddy, pal, friend of ours. Yeah. Um, I imagine that they're not going to be taking all takers. They're probably going to be, uh, interviewing and, and kind of digging into each individual because like, I think one of the key things is like, sure. A lot of people are very physical they can do a lot of these activities, but are you going to be your, is your personality going to be a fit? Oh, you definitely got a fit. Yeah, you. It's this is going to be required. These they're going to be assessing you top to bottom because they're just just not going to. Well, for one, they're not going to. It's not going to be a large group of twenty. It's going to be like three, four, maybe five people. It's not going to be. Well, no, it's going to be. So they're taking. They went switched tandem kayaks this time, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So, is their intent is to see? I never really fully understood it. Are they? Is it a tandem because it's longer and you're going to store gear in the front? Or is it going to be two people paddling? But by the sounds of it, they're saying, can you paddle in tandem? Yeah. So it sounds like people. there's going to be two people. And I believe he's sourced he's sourced two kayaks or three kayaks. I'm not sure because the with the, the way the wave, waves and everything were, single mm-hmm. paddling was, was a, a bit of a chore. Yep. So. It was. Like that, it was. I think they, that'll uh, maybe, and plus you'll yeah. speed up too, right? You yeah, make, you'll be you able make to, better yeah. distance. Oh yeah, like anybody who's paddled uh, single canoe or double in a canoe, uh, tandem canoe or kayak, tandem kayak, a single kayak. It's you're definitely getting that speed and distance endurance boost by yeah. having a second person paddling the craft. Yeah. So it does make sense. Like they, I, I think they came back with a lot of lessons learned from this year's uh, attempt at the expedition. So you know, with especially with the seasickness issue, with so the uh, with that, it's like longer kayaks. There's uh, they hit some heavy winds. So they, they learned a few lessons about uh, needing a tandem kayak because they switched up. They, as soon as they got back, they started sourcing uh, larger kayaks, tandems. And started discussing at length with uh, seasickness and compensate, compensating for seasickness. Is they, they were they were in some pretty heavy seas there at times, yeah. right? Oh yeah, 
And uh, when they finally got knocked out of it, like Rebecca had to fall out first because of her chronic seasickness. And then they got windbound and they lost, I think, two weeks. Oh, they really lost they said, a lot of time on yeah. that. Yeah. So they, they, they made it from Bylot Inlet all the way down to Arctic Bay. And they didn't, they shouldn't have had to go as far down as Arctic Bay because they, but they couldn't cross the 50 kilometer open water. 50 clicks from uh, from Peninsula to Peninsula. That's a big distance, especially in rough weather. Yeah. So it's like, no, we get, we have to, there's lessons learned here. We're not going to be able to do what we thought we could do. We're losing too much time. And so they had to pull the plug, understandably. And maybe with a few adjustments with tandem kayaking and uh, and more knowledge and experience with what to expect with weather and seasickness. I think they could uh, see a much more successful year next year. Hopefully, and hopefully it's much better uh, weather too. Yeah, and I still like their plan of going from east to west. Yeah. Because you're going, with the east to west route, you're also going from north to south. Yeah. As opposed to the west to east route, you're going from north, some south to north. So at the end of the route, if you're going east, you're getting into cooler weather sooner. Whereas if you're going east to west, your season is expanded because by the time you get to Tuck, you're farther south, much farther south. Yeah, the ice and is so, chasing you at that point. Yeah, the ice is chasing you instead of you chasing the ice. Yeah. So, so hopefully, so it'll, yeah. Uh, so it's work out uh, well. yeah, lots of lessons learned, and yeah. uh, and all you know, good luck to them in finding success next year. Mm-hmm. It'll be, it'll be can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, I'm anxious to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we went up, uh, winter camping to Mew Lake this week. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't really yeah. call it, I call it winter camping, but it's the end of October. Yeah, it's, it, we it, the had, weather was good, wasn't it? What's that? The weather was good, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, and it, it always varies. We've had beautiful weather. We've had three inches of snow. We've had pouring rain. <laughs> so it, I call it winter camping, but it's always chilly. You know, at nights, so you're getting everything going. But uh, I call it winter camping because I take the winter camping gear. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, head up to Mew Lake in Algonquin, and it's the annual Halloween camping weekend. So you never know. A lot what you're of people there. Camp. Oh, it was packed. Yeah, absolutely packed. And it's been getting busier. So now, where it used to only be Mew Lake, just yeah. down the highway is Lake of Two Rivers. And that was almost filled as well. Mm-hmm. They've been oh, doing that okay, the yeah, last yeah. couple of years, like, like at um, New Year's and that, right? Yep. They open that up and, and, and it's filling. People are, there's more and more people getting into this late season camping now over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But this weekend it was like minus two at night, minus two, zero Celsius at night. And then uh, like what, 15 degrees Celsius in the during the day. Which is beautiful, sunny blue skies, couple of clouds, nothing ma- massive, but yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, I go, I like to go this ca- time of year with all the winter camping gear because this is my set everything up, check it out, and make sure everything's exactly. working. Because yep. I don't want to take it up in December when the snow is three 30. or four <laughs> feet deep and it, yeah, it's minus thirty, yeah. and find out oh, guess what, my stove don't work. Exactly. You know, yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that's not the good time to figure that out. Uh, but what we did figure out is we have issues. The first time I set the tent up, 
it was perfect. Like straight sides, everything. I made these uh, wood posts that go up the walls for support. Oh, for that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. But ever since, we've always had scalloping, and I can't figure it out why. This time of year, you're hammering the spikes into the ground, and yeah. it's easy to pull them back out. So you can make so many distant adju- different adjustments to the tent, and that's what we were able to do. Is yeah. is is figure a few things out, and what we did figure is out is the the two posts we are putting at the ends. If we don't put those in, everything's like perfectly straight, and any water that would come down via rain or melted snow will go right off the the, the tent. Oh, okay, nothing will sit on it anymore. So we we managed to figure that out. Uh, yeah, so, so those would. Support posts for the walls. I just have two extras sitting in the truck now. So, what did you mean by scalloping? Uh, how everything sags. The the roof uh, sags, right? It. Okay. Well, now it's yeah. perfectly tight all the way around, so nothing uh, will nothing will sit on the the roof itself. Okay, got it. So we figured, uh, you know, all that's cool. Uh, the tent, uh, the the stove. I found on Friday night, I found this sweet spot on the stove between the dampener and and the the stove uh, door dampener and everything. I found the sweet spot where it just took the chill out of the air in the tent. Okay. And the, the, the wood burned slow enough to last longer than the regular like two hours that it usually lasts. Oh, it was that yeah. perfect sweet spot. But see, that's also with like what plus five, plus eight degrees. That was like minus two. Oh, was it that cold up there? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So in December when it's minus twenty five, that sweet spot ain't going to exist. <laughs> no. <laughs> It'll be slightly adjusted. But next Halloween, <laughs> let me tell you, I yes, know where you got that it nailed. I got that bad boy nailed. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, like beautiful, beautiful days. We did Big Pines Trail with some friends and, uh, oh, okay. Rachel and, yes. Rachel and, uh, Kyle Miller, uh, they come up and we went for a day hike with them. We've met a whole bunch of people we haven't seen in a while and sat around the campfire at night, chit chatting and having a couple of beverages and relaxed. We weren't in a hurry to do anything, slept in a bit, a uh, couple of days there and, Doing things like what pizza. About, what, what about, about leaves and stuff? Is I all the gone. leaves out of the trees? Oh, all yeah. gone, the all majority gone. of them are oh, all okay. gone now. Yeah. Uh, they're there, they're just like closer to the ground. Okay, well, on the ground. <laughs> yeah, <on> the- <laughs> <laughs> they're they're yeah. farther from the sky now, closer yes, to the earth. Yes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, doing things like pizza rolls the first night, just, you know, soft, soft tortilla wrapped with Okay. With with uh, cheese, tomato sauce, and like kielbasa, ham, sort of stuff, yeah. all wrapped in like a taco shell, the soft taco yeah. wrap thing, and then you just mm-hmm. put those on, wrap them in tin foil, throw them on top of the stove, and they heat up. Everything melts inside, and they're really good. Mm-hmm. Tracy made shrimp Alfredo. Put it in one oh. of those at the dollar store. You know the uh, you go to the Chinese restaurant, you get the tin foil bowl uh, yep. containers with the little yeah. thin cardboard lid yeah you buy those at the dollar store so tracy will make a whole bunch of like she made shrimp alfredo 
put it inside one of those, like enough for two people. And then she yeah. freezes them. And then we take one out in the morning, leave it in the truck or whatever, out of the cooler. And so it will thaw. And then you throw it up on, you just throw it on top of the stove and it yeah. reheats everything. Yeah. Easy peasy, Beauty. right? Yeah. Um, Halloween this year was seen to be more pre COVID, um, times with all this, like so many sites were decorated and lit up and everything. Oh, decorations. Okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of people walking around all, uh, all, doll all dressed and, up, tons of kids walking up. around. Yeah. We went through nice. like 160 pieces of candy. <laughs> yeah. But everybody was having such a good time up there. On Saturday, uh, after we, we did a hike in the morning there and it came back, Tracy was doing some decorating around the site. I put on my dry suit and I took the canoe out for a little paddle around Mew oh, Lake. Oh, right on. Yeah. I was wondering if you're going to do that. Yeah, took it up. And uh, it was nice, like a nice and balmy 15 Celsius outside. <laughs> I put my hand in the water and it was oh. ice cold. Yeah. You know, like I say, you, you dress for the, the water, not the air, right? Otherwise, I would have exactly. been in a pair of shorts yeah. sort of thing. Uh, mm. I'm toasty warm. I walked in the water and I had a uh, pair of heavy socks on. The The dry suit has the booties. Plus, I had my astral uh, water boots on, the water shoes on there. And yeah. I had no clue that I was... In the water, dry and warm. Oh, okay. Did you go for a swim or anything? Or no, no. I, I just went up to about my knees. Okay. And yeah, perfectly dry, perfectly warm. Then I paddled around and uh, I was followed by a whole bunch of ducks because everybody <laughs> feeds the ducks there, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm getting back to the site. I'm floating offshore. One duck, he just did this, like circled me like six times. Oh, yeah? I'm thinking, okay. like, what's going on? Who is this? What is this? Either he's going to attack me and I'm going to end up like needing some medical attention or yeah, yeah. he's going to attack me and go end up on top of the barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> just weren't sure what was going to happen there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had no idea. He just circled me six times and then off he went, joined his buddies. Uh, Blue Jays, chickadee, squirrels. It's pretty much all we saw up there. Nothing big. And But yeah, you know what? Uh, three great days up there. Beautiful weather, beautiful time of year. Nice. Worked out some kinks of our our stuff. Met Metal people, yeah, nice. yeah, a lot of people. It was great. So then, yeah, it's kind of hoping to get up uh, this weekend, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. Friday morning, I started with the hems, <clears throat> and you say by Sunday, by the time I was home, uh, we got home and was unpacking. We were unpacking uh, Sunday evening. I had like barely any voice left. Okay. So, so if you uh, put this head cold behind you, maybe we should uh, do a day trip and go meet the boys as they're off uh, camping. Maybe. 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 Head, head off because what is it? Uh, it's uh, so Scott and myself backed out. Martin is not fully committed, but it's like Mark Rubino, Mike Burns, uh, Mike's buddy, uh, Kevin, and who else is going? It's a couple other people going, but uh, yeah. So I think there's, I think there's going to be four people there. Okay, it's down six or seven. We yeah. should do a day trip. There you go. I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Head off for a couple hours on Sunday or Saturday if the weather's Bring a nice. Charcuterie board. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have to take a peek, dude. Keep it in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, Garmin. The Garmin Inreach. Ah, this yes. is nice so, to see this. Yeah, it's interesting. So it, it's not often that you see... So it's it doesn't reflect negatively or positively. It's just it's just a fact. This is what it is. But it's nice to see a corporation share this kind of data. Well, and, you always uh, wonder, right? Yeah, you always wonder, like, what is what is what are the stats on this? Yeah. And unless Garmin Inreach or or Zaleo or any of these corporations, unless they actually volunteer, they don't have to share this. This is not no. like they're they're not a government entity. They don't have to share this. This is not freedom of information stuff. But what is interesting is that they did say that since 2011, Garmin InReach Satellite Company, uh, they've helped a certain amount of individuals. And they said since 2011, approximately 10,000 individual lives have triggered an SOS message in their InReach device. Yep. So they've, there they've, you go. This, yeah. They've reached 10,000 individuals have pressed SOS. Yep. For whatever reason, for what either there's a myriad of information. Well, what here. got me? I mean, some of these things were um, I figured would be different orders. So they listed like yeah. nineteen things. Thirty nine percent of the SOS triggers come from adventurers who are out hiking and backpacking. So yes. that's why I don't hike or backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's why. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bad. Too many bad things happen out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what else? I Oh, no. I, yeah, I do do this. The next highest number of SOS triggers comes from driving incidents. Now, like, so this one actually surprised me. Yeah. Because I don't know why people are, unless you're on your way to a camping, hiking, paddling trip, or on the way from camping, hiking, paddling trip. So why are you using it in your vehicle? I guess some people do it. Like, say, hey, I'm on I guess some trip. people just keep it in a- there. Yeah, so I guess not everybody has that, uh, gen- the, what is it, GM has their, uh, what is it called that GM has? Oh, is that the one, uh, OnStar? OnStar. Yeah. So GM has OnStar. Uh, so GM Cadillac and so on, so on have that, and uh, I know that Nissan has that now too. I'm not; they don't do it themselves. G- so OnStar has their own thing, but then like Nissan has uh, some version of it, and yeah, everybody has their own little version. But uh, but yeah, so driving is the second most used use of Garmin InReach. Now, but I know I mean, that when Spot was becoming popular. Some companies were putting spot units in their company vehicles. Oh, okay. Right? Makes sense, yeah. With the tracking on it. So they mm-hmm. knew where the the company vehicle was. Yeah. It was sort of an underhanded way to keep track of their employees, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I, and you know what? This is, this is sort of what, what I was sort of thinking is like, yeah, I only think about my spot unit when I'm going somewhere. Exactly. I don't yeah. keep it in my truck at all times. Yeah. Maybe I should. <laughs> and, so, and also I, I like there's like you know the, like specifically we're discussing Garmin InReach because that's what we have the data on but like I know that like uh, the Apple Watch can detect 
an accident. So if you're wearing an Apple Watch, it'll detect an accident. And if you have it set up properly, it'll call 911 on your behalf. Right. Yeah, so there's there's lots of different things. But uh, I was surprised that people use Garmin Reach for driving purposes. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it makes sense. And like so the third most is motorcycling. Now, that one makes sense. Usually people who are motorcycling, it's like, you know, weekend warriors like me, myself. I, you know, I do trips with the boys. I do a one or trip, two big trips a year on the motorcycle. And, and I bring my, my Zaleo and other people, a couple other people will bring a spot device. It's like sometimes you're kind of off in the, off the middle of, you're going for the windy, twisty roads, right? So mm-hmm. you may not always have uh, cell service. So, you know, it makes sense to have something like this when you're, when you're in remote areas, right? Right. So and it's uh, there's a lot of things on this that make sense on this list and what it's it's a as you climb the list it's fewer and fewer uses so you know well my my big thing was you know I got to think paddling is is right up there right yeah, yeah so you got hiking backpacking driving motorcycling climbing mountaineering boating snowmobiling hunting camping off-roading Skiing, snowboarding, paddle sports. Paddle sports so, is number 11 just before horseback riding. Yeah. So it may be that in case to me that uh, paddle sports is a fairly safe safe thing to do. The I don't think the, the micromort is that. Uh, I know. I just... <laughs> <laughs> the micromort number is uh, fairly low on the uh, paddle sports there. Yeah. It's at 11. I honestly thought paddle sports would be much higher. Especially when you, you're watching these guys like Dane Jackson and whatnot go down all these, uh, yes, all these waterfalls, waterfalls and you know going exactly. through these these places through Europe and Asia that you know like yeah. take 15 days to get to the river. There's some pretty risky places you can get to uh, on on the water. Right? Yeah, so. I figure paddle sports would be at least the top five or six. At yeah, least. it ends up further down the list. Yeah, and then there's like. And then there's horseback riding. It's like, wait a sec, people take Garmin in reach? Well, they're going. But then if you think about it, like, and, and so uh, I'm going at it from a Canadian perspective. But you know what? There's a lot of people who have ranch, ranch hands and stuff to, in the States and, you know, uh, Midwest and so on. There's a lot of uh, remote uh, ranching. Uh, and so you, yeah. when you talk horseback riding, there's you're talking some remote stuff. Trail like rides. I used to work Exactly, trail rides. I used to work with a gentleman. He, uh, he, he had an outfit out in Alberta that he would take people, Americans would come up and hire them out for $30,000 a head. They go get uh, uh, mountain sheep, uh, or the, they call it bighorn sheep yeah. off in the Alberta foothills. So, and so he had like 30 or 40 uh, horses that he would uh, take off in the backcountry with however many people he brought with him. So it does make sense, horseback riding. Yeah. And then, and then his work related for people who do whatever, like linesmen or remote work, logging and stuff, right? So a lot of these do make sense. A lot of them make yeah. a lot of sense. Well, many people are doing outdoor activities, create the potential for many emergency situations. And the top reason yes. that an in-reach user triggers an SOS is for injuries. And that's like 30% of the time. Yes. Injury can refer to a variety of problems such as broken bones, lacerations, blunt force trauma from a fall, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm in the middle of the Nahani. I lost my boat, and I'm not going to swim the rest of the way down this river. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, second, second one. See, number one and two, I can to me are sort of the same. I can see where they differentiate, though. But so sure. number one is injury. Number two is a medical issue. But medical issues uh, refer to concerns like altitude sickness, heart problems, gastrointestinal issues. To me, those yeah. are also medical. But I, or yeah, I, I guess you could injuries to me are medical as well. But they've just differentiated between broken bones and someone wanting to poop in their tent. <laughs> uh, number three is a vehicle accident. Number four, stranded or stuck. Which to me yeah. would be okay. Yeah, you lost your your canoe. I went over a waterfall and I lost my canoe. I'm middle of the bush. Yeah, yeah. Uh, five is a vehicle accident. Six is lost. Seven is a vessel issue. Yeah. So if you're out in your boat and something dies, your your engine dies. Yeah, I'm in a fishing trawler. I'm off uh, the east coast somewhere's, and uh, I, I'm 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 pooched. My engine blew up, and I need something to come and get me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Lost vessel issue, missing persons, wildfire, and 10 others. So there's only, yeah, <laughs> really nine main reasons that people are going to press that button. Yeah. Yeah. A frequent question in Reach Gets is who an SOS can be triggered for. Now, to me, it's like, okay, if it's my in Reach or my spot unit, yeah. if something happens to me, I'm pressing. SOS. If I'm on a canoe trip and something happens to somebody in my air in my group, I'm or somebody SOS. come across, yeah. or if we're we're coming across and somebody's had a heart attack or something like that, I'm pressing SOS. To me, I never really thought who's it for, or, or it, it's only for me because my name's on. No, the I address, know, right? Right. And and so some to oftentimes on trips that I've been on, you might have six people. But there's only one spot, one's a Leo device, or yeah. there might be only a spot device. So you're talking. This is my Sorry. spot device. Sorry, you got mauled by the bear. Yeah, <laughs> you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> this is mine. Sorry, pal. <laughs> While many SOS incidents are for the actual in-reach subscriber, nearly two-thirds are for the subscriber's party member or an unknown third-party individual. Somebody kind of come across who's laying on a trail and saying, help me. Yeah. So What's two thirds aren't even for the people that own the inReach. Yes. Yeah. SOS and that's, can... where you, that's where you say to the guy, it's like, well, I've got this inReach device. How much are you going to pay me to hit yeah. the SOS button, buddy? Uh, What's it worth to you <laughs> for me to press this button? I'll give you 10 bucks. Wow, ah, you pop off. Yeah. I found your canoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a whole new just ethical issue out in the woods, buddy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, an SOS can be triggered to report emergencies, including wildfires or vehicle accidents. As such, they always try to reiterate that it's important to carry in reach because you never know who or what you might come across when outside of cell phone service. Yes. Um, and yeah, now I mean, I always say... in reach. This specifically says in reach, but yeah. I think we explain that to any device that can you can hit SOS in the... Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the three that... Is the Leo or Spot or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, those are... I mean, the, the three that most people 
we know yes. carry yes. are the the in reach, the spot, or there's a layo. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when you're reading this, I mean, to me, I always think about the devices when I'm heading out on canoe trip or some sort of adventure, right? Not yeah. if if I do have it in my vehicle, it's the day before I leave because I'll put it in my truck, drive to work. <laughs> And then get home and check that it's working so that I can then send out the the link to whoever needs the link to know where I am. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, that I, 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 test, yeah. Yeah, I never use it uh, for anything else. Have you ever tested the SOS function? Nope. So I set it up. There's a, there's a process you can go through. So with Zaleo, there's a phone number. You call the, uh, the contact center and, and what you do is you email them and say, I, I wish to test the SOS function. And then what they'll do is they'll either call or email you back and say, okay, at 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, we're going to set up, we'll have a pre-contact a few minutes beforehand, and it'll give you an opportunity to hit the SOS button. We'll confirm that it worked, because what they've found in the past, and I've heard this with Spot, and this is why they've publicized this, is uh, sometimes the device itself, unless you've tested it, you don't know that that actual button is properly wired to work. So uh, I did it the first time I used my Zaleo. I set it up. I contacted the uh, the center. They reached back to me and they said, okay, at 5 p.m. we're going to get you to hit the button. And so they called me back. I had him. He called me. And while I was on the phone with him, he says, okay, this is your opportunity to test it. I want you to hit the button now. And so I hit the button. He says, okay, we received the signal. You can clear the button. So you hold the button for so many seconds, it clears the SOS. He says, okay, your, your, your message is clear. Okay, that completes the test. Thank you very much. It was like, it was like a two minute phone call with a dude. He was actually funny. I chatted with him. He's like the call center guy. He's, he's the guy that gets all the, uh, the SOS things in. So he was actually in whatever the center is where they receive all these uh, rescue notifications. And so mm. it was uh, it was a neat process. So it's uh, it's very controlled. The guy was very professional but funny. And uh, so it was it was nice to know that it actually worked. But should, uh, you have see. to set it up ahead of time. Yeah, I should check the spot unit, see uh, if they got that same sort of thing. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to do it. Like it, no. uh, like the, there's a – you go to spot and ask, talk to them about uh, I want to test the SOS function – and because uh, I've tested I everything else, yes. So, and that, when I first got it, it's like, well, I heard that there's some spot devices that had issues. So it was like, oh, I got to test this. So, so the guy was very understanding, he was very professional. It wasn't anything unusual. I'm sure they don't want you to be testing it once a week type thing. But yeah. uh, I own, I tested it once. I was satisfied with that. I know the SOS button works. So it's a, it's a it's well worth the effort to make sure your device is going to operate as expected. Yeah. I, I've never even given that a thought. I nope. figure I just press nope. the button and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> no here it goes. Here in five Wish days. me luck, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All righty. Um, Halloween just passed. Did it? Wait, I missed it. I didn't know. Oh, you should have been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a oh, fella. So what it was uh so you didn't nobody was home at your house for Halloween? Oh yeah, we were home. Oh, you were I thought you went to Mew. Well, Halloween was Monday. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're back then. We were back Sunday back night. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's this fella named James Donald. He's uh, out of uh, Ormocto, New Brunswick. Oh. I almost said BC again, and I have no idea why. I know, I know. I'm I know. looking at yeah. my notes, and it says New Brunswick, NB. It says NB. And I keep wanting to say BC. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things. Well, speaking of Ormocto, before we head on, uh, so my parents live like 20 minutes from Ormocto. My aunt Gail lives in Ormocto, so this one is uh, this one here is like in my neighborhood growing up. <laughs> he says <laughs> it felt like you're in some kind of weird horror movie after his experience south of Ormocto, New Brunswick. As his kayak slid over the mirror still water, the tall grass was bow, bowed, 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 bowed. bowed. Bowed, held down by thick webs of spider silk. The leafless trees were adorned with it, trailing fish-lined thick threads. Is this guy a writer? I don't know what he does. <laughs> uh, he says he kept thinking, it would get better, it would get better, it would get better. And as he and his wife Vicky battled down the river, it didn't get better, it got worse. He says, when you're in the middle of it and everything's covered in spider webs, it felt like you're in some kind of weird horror movie. Uh, they felt transported to another world where spiders ruled. Some scurried on the water toward their kayak and tried to climb in. Others floated on balloons made of silk or walked on tightrope threads strung between two trees. In fact, the spiders were just doing their spider thing. They're called dock spiders. Oh, and you know how spider. big dock spiders get. They're huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or fishermen. Sp I've never heard them called fishermen spiders. No, neither have I. They build these nests to protect their hatchlings. In autumn, they find a safe place with lots of wetlands and vegetation to nest. For days, they spin domes under which they can lay their eggs. He said, uh, when you get close, you can see the baby spiders in the webs. Yes. The web I've seen that. Yeah, the web formations are typical, and the expanse of almost a square kilometer just means the spiders thought this is a good place to be. <laughs> it likely feels unusual to see this because the spiders nest uh, in areas where humans rarely go. If anyone finds themselves in this predicament, they're better off just turning back and avoiding disturbing the spiders any more than they have to. It's a natural habitat and it's their home. But he says it didn't happen all at once. They parked their car, put their kayaks in, started battling, and it started off with a few spiders here and there. And before they knew it, they were running through sticky webs and brushing the spiders away. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing like uh, getting that web in the face, right? Oh, I know. Every day, it's like you don't want to be the first person down the portage. Yeah. <laughs> they thought about turning back but knew more spiders will be behind them and hoped there would be fewer as they paddled up Sunpoke Creek and into Sunpoke Lake, but the webs only got thicker. He said he was fascinated and wanted to record videos and capture how the setting sun reflected off the webs. If I was by myself, I would have been here for hours and hours, probably trying to figure out what was going on, he says. His wife, on the other hand, wanted to get out of there, and he didn't blame her. 1.1 spider fell inside her kayak, and she <laughs> almost flipped over, which would not have been safe or pleasant, considering the chilly water this time of year. 
They completed the loop <laughs> safely after three hours of paddling, just as the sun was setting. As they pulled the kayaks up onto the river shore, they noticed something odd. They walked close and realized what was happening. You could see spider webs on the car. They were taking dun, dun, on the car. Dun, dun. <laughs> this is how horror movies start, people. I know. Exactly. <laughs> this is how horror movies start. I've seen movies like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you see the big spider webs and the big spiders and more, and more yeah, just turn around, uh. cut bait and run. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Get out now. Yeah. Hey, whatever <laughs> happened to uh, to uh, James and uh, Vicky? Well, let me tell you. It's a horror movie type thing. They were they were out paddling, you see, and there was these spider webs. These spiders with a hook hand. <laughs> they had a hook hand. Mandibles, click, 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 clack. Yeah, so I don't know what you guys are doing out in New Brunswick with the big spiders, but uh, <laughs> feel free to keep them. Well, I grew up in New Brunswick, and I don't recall seeing that many dock spiders. I first time I saw a dock spider was like Algonquin and Tobogamy, and so yeah. I'm. <laughs> Apparently, things have I've changed. Seen, I've seen some pretty big dock spiders, in, uh, and I, I've never actually seen one on a dock. Strangely. But I've seen them. I remember once I was uh, paddling. I was it was uh, Philip Edward Island. I was with Mike Burns, and uh, we flipped the canoe over, and there was this giant dock spider in the bow of the canoe inside it. It's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, spiders get that big? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, they get massive. Now yeah, all amazing. our listeners in Australia are going. You wimps. <laughs> yeah. Here, hold my beer. That's not a spider. <laughs> yeah, the Australian spider. Like, everything in Australia wants to kill you. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, those, those uh, what do they call them? There's, uh, <clears throat> oh, I wish I could remember what they're called, but there's a giant spider. And they're generally harmless, The this specific spider, but it gets very big in Australia. It's like, oh, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, as, as long as it's in my neighbor's house, not mine, I'm good. There we, you go. Yeah. Actually, I have a truck spider. <laughs> it's a spider that just wanders around my truck. Every yeah. so often, there'll be a, a web from my rear view mirror or something, or I'll see him walking across the dashboard. Or, he just lives in there, right? Yeah, he just lives in there. And we've got one in our bathroom upstairs. <laughs> and we figure, okay, when we remodeled our bathroom there, what, a month ago, month and a half ago? Um, well, that's the end of the bathroom spider. And Jay's yeah. like, the other day was, hey, uh, uh, guess who I just saw up in the bathroom? So <laughs> I guess he went on vacation as well while the, while the bathroom was being remodeled and he's back going, ooh, look what they did. He's got a brand nice. new home. But every so often you'll be sitting there in the bathroom and you'll see this spider on the, on the wall near the ceiling. You're going, oh, yeah, that's him. As long as he stays away from me, I'm good. Have you named him? Bathroom spider and truck spider. That's what I've named them. Kevin. Kevin. One of them's got to be Kevin. Kevin. Kevin and Fred. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, um, we talked about this a while back. Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission is reminding <laughs> boaters, anglers, and hunters that beginning November 1st, which was the other day, the annual cold weather life jacket requirement is in effect. 
Now I checked around. I can't find this in any other than any other state except Pennsylvania. So if anybody does know if this is in, in effect in any other states, let us know. From November 1st through April 30th, boaters are required to wear a U.S. Coast Guard approved life jacket while underway or at anchor on boats less than 16 feet in length or on any kayak, canoe, or paddleboard. So while you're paddling or while you're just floating, you have yeah. to have... Um, uh, a life jacket on. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the requirement. So they give the boat length so that I guess that is a uh, opportunity for like people on a larger uh, like power boat or a sailboat to say, hey, I'm docked. I'm or I'm at anchor. I don't have to wear a life jacket, yada, yada, yada. But if you're in a smaller boat, you typically would be fishing or doing whatever recreational activities. Yeah. So they say, you got to have a life jacket on. It's cold weather. Yeah, the requirement re- re- applies to all Pennsylvania waters. Uh, the fall and winter seasons are filled with outdoor opportunities that can be enjoyed on the water, including fishing, waterfowl hunting, and scenic foliage tours, says Ryan Walt, uh, PFBC Boating and Watercraft Safety Manager. Whatever activity you are involved in, boaters should be aware that the water temperatures begin to drop rapidly at this time of year. And even on sunny days when air temperatures are comfortable and warm, the water is already cold enough to cause cold water shock, hypothermia, and put your life at risk. Life jacket can keep your head above water until help arrives. And we talked about this before. Sudden cold water immersion or cold water shock occurs when a person is unexpectedly plunged into cold water, result in, resulting in an involuntary gasp where water is often inhaled. Yes. This, this uncontrollable reaction causes panic, hyperventilation, inhalation of water, and inhibits the ability of a person to swim. Yeah, so you don't have, you don't have the, depending on how it hits you, you may not have the ability to keep yourself afloat. You, so your life jacket is what's going to keep your head above water mm-hmm. so you don't drown in those first few moments of shock yeah. due to the cold. Uh, prior to this life jacket wearing, uh, wear requirement being enacted in 2012, a disproportionate number of deaths happened between November and April. Yeah. Uh, since then, the commission has seen a significant drop in the percentage of boating incidents that resulted uh, in fatalities during the cold winter months. Or cold weather months, sorry. Yeah, cold weather months. Yeah. Now, here's one I never thought about, and I I don't know if I can get behind this one or not. Just because I'm paranoid about where I go ice fishing and the, the ice thickness. They also recommend that anglers participating in ice fishing in winter, always wear a life jacket to provide life-saving protection in the event of a fall through the ice. It, I can see the logic in it, but I don't know of anybody who has ever worn a life jacket while ice fishing. I don't think I've ever seen anybody. And like I say, I'm a bit paranoid when it comes to being on the ice. And, yeah, you know, um, usually if well, I'm walking on times ice... times have we snowshoed across a lake... Or whatever, it's like it's your winter camping. It's like I'm not 
hunkin' a like I, I I maybe I shouldn't be so vocal about this because you know it's it's not a bad idea, but in the middle of winter, if I'm snowshoeing across the edge of a lake and I'm traversing, and is I'm not gonna have a life jacket on. So I don't have a life jacket on, but I have the ice me. spikes. Yes, I do that too. I, I have yes. those around my my uh, around my neck there, so that I can just grab them and then boom, put them in the ice to hold me, and then I can walk, yeah. work my way up, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know anybody ever ever that brings a life jacket while yeah on the ice in winter. And I don't want to poo-poo it because I don't want to. Oh, it's a logical, it's a logical it, thing. It does make sense. It does yeah. make sense. So, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to, I don't know if anybody, anybody listening to this, uh, I'd like to hear back from you. I'd like to, if you do any winter camping, snowshoeing, traversing, if you're crossing Algonquin, if you're doing anything over remote areas, do you ever bring like uh, I, I guess you could bring one of those slim uh, CO two inflatable uh, horseshoe life vest type things like uh, Mustang has them and stuff. Some yeah. of them auto inflate and stuff. They're, they're very slim. They they stay out of your way. But I guess if you clip them on over top of your winter jacket, they could really save you if you're if you are traversing or if you're out on lake for the day. If you're who knows where you're going uh, ice fishing? But do you do you wear one of those things? I would I'd like to hear from people if the people that do wear them, if or do take them. And like, is there a reason? Have you experienced something in your past where it's like, hey, I'm going to bring a life jacket? You know what I mean? I'd like to hear because uh, I, I I don't want to poo poo it. It's like obviously it's a proper safety precaution, but I'd like to hear from somebody. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, so if you're in Pennsylvania, and as, as well, if you know any other state that does this, uh, it is time you got to be wearing your life jacket in your yeah. in your vessels all the time, even when you're your not vessels, moving. your vessels, your nuclear vessels, your nuclear vessels. <laughs> uh, last thing I got here: eco-friendly toys, and this ah, yes. this only caught my eye because the last one we're going to talk about. Uh, there's a few different things here. These are sort of toys for the yacht inclined. Yeah. <laughs> People have got money to burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Fanatic Ray Eco Sup Paddleboard. Declared as the most sustainable stand-up paddleboard, the Ray Eco is the brainchild of Zero Emissions Project and Board Lab supported by Fanatic. Glass carb and carbon fiber have been replaced with the sustainable Kiri tree wood. I don't think I've ever heard of the Kiri tree. Yeah, nearby. Yeah. And you can forget toxic varnishes and resins. Organic linseed oil has been used to seal the board and maintain its durability. Which we do that with the uh, with some canoe, uh, canoe paddles too. We don't varnish them. Well, just you gotta just keep better care of them more. Yeah, so it's eco-friendly just due to its construction and yep. and its being the oils and linseed oil. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you you're not using a lot of plastic, you're not using a lot of like varnishes and resins yeah. and Okay. Fast, light and stable board is truly one of a kind, not available off the rack. The craftsman love for detail and preservation is another first-class quality of the board. From 
seven thousand dollars. Okay, seven thousand. Wait, this is a stand-up paddleboard. Yep. <laughs> I just I just bought an inflatable stand-up paddleboard for three hundred fifty bucks. Ah, oh, you cheaper. <laughs> I know. <laughs> seven thousand. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this one's more your style. Okay. The Osiris Outdoor Reprisal Kayak. Kayaks are ideal for preserving and protecting nature, but they're usually manufactured with materials that will last decades longer than we will and therefore not too equal friendly. Founded by U.S. outdoor enthusiasts, Osiris Outdoor has created a new type of personal boat. The Reprisal Kayak is manufactured in the U.S. entirely from recycled plastics, around 60 pounds, that are purchased from recycling facilities, which is pretty cool. Yeah. The sustainable manufacturing process isn't its only selling point. The lightweight reprisals have spacious storage uh, compartments, rod holders, and watertight hatch for gadgets complete with a matte black finish for a stylish look. I don't know how good that's going to be in the middle of a hot summer day. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Black. Yeah. But yeah. From $750. Yeah. Speaking of hot summer days, I was just thinking as I'm reading that, it's like a watertight hatch for gadgets. I'm thinking, well, I guess you could keep a ham sandwich in there if you're not into gadgets. But then if it's matte black, your ham sandwich is going to get hot pretty quick. Ooh, a heat toasted ham sammy. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. It's like a microwave. What's for okay, lunch? Now, well, it depends I, I, on the weather. Yeah, I'm back on board. I'm back on board. I'm with yeah. it now. <laughs> See, depending on the weather today, I'm either having a ham sandwich or a toasted ham sandwich <laughs> yeah, with yeah, melted yeah. cheese. A hot melt, a ham hot melt sandwich. <laughs> depends on the weather. This is the one that got me, and just because of what... I know what they're getting at, but I'm just being a weenie. The Flightboard Series 2.0, the future of surf is electric. And the Flightboard offers an emissions-free and environmentally friendly electric hydrofoil. Flying over the water has never been as efficient and low-impact using new technologies with less than 750 watts of electric power. Now, picture a small little surfboard thing with the hydrofoil underneath. We've been yes. seeing these the last few years where they run, they jump on them, they use this pumping motion, and, it, and then exactly. get out and ride the waves. Yes. yes. So realistically, there is a more low impact <laughs> than yes. this electric one. Yes, human-powered. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so we'll just cross that part out. But I will say I've seen I've seen these online. I've uh there's some there's a few YouTube channels that I follow and and they've used them, reviewed them and stuff like that. It's like, "Oh, that looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That looks like a lot of fun." Oh, and so I'm these sure it would be a pretty neat toy to have. Oh, yeah. But you are absolutely paying for it. Yeah. Uh, it also features an increased trigger range from 20, 20 to 40 degrees for more precision and control. Uh, Flightboard designed this series for every possible foiling ability from newbies to newbies to wave carvers. 
starts at $13,800. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So this is why I would never have one, but if anybody wants to buy me one. If I'd you've got really a massive like yacht and are looking for something to spend <laughs> your money on, yep, yep, yep. this is it. Yep. So, or if yep. you have a massive yacht and you're going to buy one, you want to buy an extra one for somebody else, I will accept the extra one. I will accept. I will not turn it away. I will not <laughs> say no. I've seen these used enough that I, they just look so much fun. Oh, you know what? I've seen the. I've seen the. Yeah. I mean, if you want to just jump on something and go. Yeah. You know, but it's I think good. half the fun is is putting that manual labor into pumping there that board with your your. Yeah. Body yep. weight and everything to to make yeah. that way you make you feel like you're actually getting a workout too. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a scooter. You gotta you yes. gotta use your foot to push that scooter, or you can buy one of the electric ones and just press a button and boom, off you go. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> potato, potato. Uh-huh. Uh, that's all I got this week. Yeah, I'm tapped out. I. Uh... I uh, I did talk about Riley, so I'm happy I kind of shared that, got that load off my chest. But uh, but yeah, I've uh, I'm I'm tapped out too. Um, yeah, I'm glad my voice is. I can... <laughs> you lasted quite well. Yeah, I can feel it squeaking <laughs> a bit there, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, again, go to thearcticcowboys.com if you got a great sense of humor and don't poop in the oh, tent. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah don't, poop in don't poop in the tent. Don't poop in the tent. Again. <laughs> I, I, I want to know the story behind that one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, we talked about pulling the finger, but maybe somebody took it a bit farther. Yeah, yeah. All so right. if you're going to apply, if you want to join the Arctic Cowboys, they're looking for team members. But just make sure that you stipulate when your application form and say, uh, I don't poop in tents. Right. At least not my own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not my own tent. <laughs> All righty. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at BattlingAdventuresRadio.com and uh, stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening this week. Uh, I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.